0: American soccer fans, welcome to episode 47 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, co-manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. This episode is not going to be a fun one. I'm going to have a frank discussion on the U23s losing last night in the CONCACAF Olympic Qualifying Championship semifinals to Honduras, the final there 2-1 to one Honduras. For the third straight time and the fourth time in five, the United States will not have a men's soccer team competing in the Olympics. And this one, like the others, feels like a failure to me. We're going to really unpack everything and analyze what this all means, but I want to start with why this feels like a failure to me. And many of you may agree with me on the fact that it is a failure of the program to once again not qualify for the Olympics, but you may have your different reasons on why you feel that way. For me, it's about exposure, it's about experience, it's about competition, and above all, it's about the moment. In men's soccer, the Olympics are just a blip on the radar. FIFA doesn't recognize it, the clubs don't care about it, and most nations really don't worry about it. But for the United States of America, as a whole, as a country, the Olympics is everything. It's why we spend so many resources on creating facilities. It's why the U.S. Olympic Committee is one of the most important and strongest sports organizations in the country. It's why NBC pays billions of dollars to have the Olympics on their family of networks. And yes, the Olympics is the second biggest competition in the world after the World Cup. It's seen by 2 billion people every time, particularly the summer games. And it's a moment where, especially in the United States, we have people doing different disciplines and competitions in the Olympics, and they become household names. Everyone knows who Simone Biles is, Christy Yamaguchi, Sean White, Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, Michael Johnson, and Gabby Douglas. They know who those people are. Their household names and everywhere they go, whatever they do, Olympic champion will be attached to their name. But even for those who go to the Olympics and don't win a medal, the word Olympian will be attached to their names in this country for life. It's a lifelong dream for so many athletes. I wanted that moment for men's soccer. I wanted some of the guys on our U23 national team to become household names on the women's side. Many of them already are household names, and for many people who are either casual fans or Olympic fans, meaning they really only tune in every four years, they only remember these players that stood out at the Olympics or at a World Cup. When people think about the men's national team program, they'll probably start with Christian Pulisic right now, and some will list Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, maybe Sergino Dest, but casual fans still list Landon Donovan. They still ask if Clint Dempsey is playing they'll talk about Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley. This was an opportunity for a new crop of young stars to begin to make their name on the national and international stage. And on the stage that was set for them to qualify, they once again failed to do it. U.S. soccer made this a priority. Men's national team head coach Greg Berhalter factored the Olympics into a lot of his planning for squad rotation this summer. So why, when this was a priority, did a team that was good enough to qualify join the growing list of teams in the men's national team program to not be good enough to represent our nation and our region in the Olympic Games? This was a setback. People had been talking about the improving quality of our men's program, the vast number of young players who were starring on some of the world's biggest clubs, the growing number of players heading to Europe at a younger age to play ball. We had an air of optimism. Casual fans were starting to hear that, and they're starting to hear about how dope the men's national team player pool has become, and they were starting to get excited about how deep our pool has become, and now they're asking all of us soccer people questions about why we were gassing them up when all we know how to do on the international stage is lose when it matters the most. That's a fair question. The Olympics was a chance to showcase our talent we should be focusing on competing hard and qualifying for every single competition there exists out there because it's a chance to showcase our talent. It's a chance to show 2 billion people that, hey, our men's soccer program is back, we're not messing around anymore, and we're here to compete, and we got some young stars here to do it. So when the team misses that opportunity yet again, it is an absolute setback. Now, that's not to say that qualification was supposed to be easy. We've made that quite clear it's not easy. We've never beaten Honduras in the knockout stage of Olympic qualifying. 0-4 entering last night. Now we're 0-5 for 5 because Honduras took it to us once again. And they deserve to be going to the Olympics. They've gone four times in a row. Not even Mexico can say that. They've done well on that level of international play. But for us, the Olympics is a chance to showcase our talent to the world, to get the experience of playing at an international tournament, and to showcase our program to American fans, the casuals, to grow the game in this country. People keep saying that the Olympics aren't a big deal in soccer, and they cite that France, Germany, and others don't qualify for the Olympics regularly. And that's fine. And from a developmental standpoint, there are definitely pros and cons to making the Olympics and having to call in a strong squad for it. And I understand all of that. But for the United States of America, the Olympics are a very big deal. A very big deal. It's a chance for fringe national teamers to become national heroes and household names. Olympic sports are shown in this country year-round. A lot of money and time are invested into the Olympics. We know the names of curlers, fencers, wrestlers, triathletes, and divers. We become experts in how to swim the perfect 400-meter medley relay, and we're all judges when a figure skater hits the ice. And for 13 years, the U.S. men's soccer program has not been able to benefit from that. And because of that, the narrative is that the program is still in the doldrums because for most casual Americans, the men's soccer program has not qualified for the two biggest tournaments in the world in consecutive opportunities, the World Cup and the Olympics. The Olympics are a big deal for Americans and not making it is a very big deal because it's a very big moment. And this isn't about how a nation of 330 million people should be qualifying over a nation of 9 million people. So for those trying to throw that argument into the lion's den to be served up on the platter by the, by the folks, that's not the type of meal we're trying to eat over here. CONCACAF is difficult in the path to qualification is tough. But what we had on the field last night was a team that was good enough to beat Honduras and qualify for the Olympics. We just didn't do it. And with the Olympics being at the forefront of the planning of U.S. soccer ever since Greg Berhalter's first press conference, this has been in the making. This has been the priority on the youth level. And they did not achieve that objective. So it's a setback. It's a failure. And above all, it's a missed opportunity for this group of players to be a part of an American moment on the international stage. We got a lot more to discuss on the U23s and they're not qualified for the Olympics, but right now we'll pause for a quick break. We are back. And we're discussing the failure of the U.S. U23 men's national team to qualify for the Olympics. And I want to shift to the actual team. Entering this tournament, during the training camp, the players knew that there was pressure on them to qualify. They knew the history. We knew the history. And throughout camp, they had talked about how they were going to embrace that pressure and take it head on and break through that wall and get to the Olympics. It was a constant topic of conversation. Yesterday morning before the match, the U.S. Youth National Team put out a video on social media that literally discussed the pressure and how they knew that this semifinal match was the one they had been preparing for. It's the one they had been focused on the entire camp leading up to the start of the Olympic qualifying tournament and even throughout the tournament, they referred back to that, to this semifinal match. They knew this was the one. The performance we got last night wasn't good enough. They weren't ready to play. They didn't embrace that pressure. They didn't embrace the intensity that was necessary to perform. They didn't have the fight that was necessary to perform. They played uninspired soccer. They didn't play to win. They played not to lose. And when they got down, much of the team played with no urgency. They played like it was over before it began. I will point out that the captain, Jackson Ewell, I thought had a lot of fight. He had the lone goal for the United States. And of the three to four chances that they had on the night... They were created by him. He showed heart. I don't think the rest of the team really gave enough of that. After the match, Ewell said that the team was disappointed. He said as the captain, quote, I'll say that I'm proud of the group. I think we gave it our all every game. These tournaments are challenging, and we knew that coming into it. We're sad with the loss, and I know the guys are probably going to have to take a bit and hopefully bounce back stronger after this. And I hope they do. I really do, because they have a lot more games than them. I hope they take the lessons they learned from this defeat and disappointment and use that to become hungrier players, better players, players who will embrace that moment with more experience and urgency next time it comes around, and they will be in this position again. So I hope they learn from this, and I hope they grow from it. But like I said before, there was enough talent in this player pool to qualify for the Olympics. And the first thing that people have been pointing to, incorrectly in my opinion, is the fact that most of the team currently plays in Major League Soccer, and that leads me to my next point. This team's failure is not an indictment of Major League Soccer, or the USL, or the NISA, or any of the American leagues. Every single team in this tournament, except for Mexico, had players who played in one of those leagues. Honduras even had a backup goalkeeper on their roster who plays for the University of Kentucky. And now he can go back to Lexington and brag to his friends about how he is on a team that qualified for the Olympics. He could be an Olympian in college. You can't in one sentence say you want all Americans who are worth a grain of salt to be training and playing in Europe, and then in the next sentence, ask why our best players were not on this team. No club, as we all know, no club has to release their players for any U23 camp or tournament, even Olympic qualifying or the Olympics. Our best players under the age of 23 who were on the field for the senior men's national team in Belfast yesterday were not going to be made available for Olympic qualifying in Guadalajara. So the team was just going to be loaded up with players who call MLS home. And that is why people who love the men's national team programs need to also be fully invested in Major League Soccer being the best it can be. They were more willing to release their players. And we have to realize that guys like Brendan Aronson and Brian Reynolds and Mark McKenzie and Daryl DK making the move to Europe over the past three months meant that these guys were not going to be made available for Olympic qualifying by their clubs. We even had Atlanta United block the release of Miles Robinson, George Bellow, and Brooks Lennon because they wanted them to be fully available for their preseason ahead of CONCACAF Champions League. But MLS has been great at developing players at a young age to send them off to Europe. USL has also become much better at developing players at a young age to send them off to Europe, and our player pool is really deep for the national team, and it's only getting deeper. The loss last night was not an indication that we are not as deep as we say we are. It's just that our depth was either made not available or not selected. The drawback is that our players in Europe don't become available for tournaments like this, so this isn't an MLS problem or a USL problem. This is a US soccer problem. Other teams take players from our leagues and use that to qualify for the Olympics and other competitions. U.S. Soccer has to continue to cultivate these relationships with clubs, both here and abroad, and the players, so that they can see the vision and how it lines up with the priorities that we have as a soccer nation. And that leads me to Coach Jason Christ in U.S. Soccer. Kreis is receiving a lot of criticism for the decisions he made with regard to the roster, some of the tactics that he had, and his overall inability to prepare his group to play the soccer that it needed to qualify. And those criticisms are valid. All of them. To be fair to Jason Kreis, he is a bit hamstrung by the fact that he could not request whatever players he wanted, and he could only get the ones that teams were willing to release. But he had a roster that included no creative midfielders, no attacking wings, and only two players at the nine one of which operated more as a false nine. He operated under the correct assumption that the games were going to be hot and humid and at an altitude down in Guadalajara, but his move was to bring more defensive-minded midfielders that could grind it out. But that lack of creativity was evident from the opening whistle of the tournament, and it was clear immediately that it was going to be the downfall of this team if they didn't qualify. They didn't have any playmakers, and he made some questionable choices in that regard, he left Jeremy Abobese at home, saying he thought of him only as a 9 and not as someone who could create on the attack when that's literally what he does. Eric Williamson, a creative midfielder that was a mainstay in the U23 and U20 programs over the past couple of years, he wasn't even on the preliminary roster. Keaton Parks, James Sands, Cole Bassett, and even Emmanuel Sabby could have been creative options either in the middle or on the wing that he could have called on. And while Sabi was a long shot to be released, given that he plays in Europe, the others weren't. Sure, he was hurt by Uli Yanez being hurt and so many eligible guys going abroad recently where they wouldn't be able to be released. But he opted to leave his creative guys at home for the most part, and it showed. And when we needed creativity the most in the matches against Mexico and then last night against Honduras, they weren't there. That was an error on his part. After the match last night, while Kreis eventually said he would look inward to determine why his team came up short, he started by laying a lot of the blame at the feet of his players. He said that he didn't think the quality was there and that they didn't show enough composure when the bright lights were on them. He said, quote, not to say we weren't good enough to get it done because I do believe we had enough quality in our team. We had enough ability in our team. We had enough fight and commitment. But just at the end of it, at the end of it tonight, I didn't think it was quite good enough. He then was asked at the end of his press conference what he said to his guys in the locker room after the match. And what he said he told them was an odd statement in itself. He said to the guys, quote, It's a fact of life that you lose more than you win, and it's always going to be about who gets up and moves forward the quickest. These disappointments happen in your life over and over and over again, and you have no choice but to move forward. And I think that's the problem. The goal in life is to win more than you lose. You can certainly learn a lot in a loss, but you should be able to take what you've learned and apply that so that next time you win and you see the fruits of that labor and those lessons learned. Disappointment is something that happens. I have experienced it a lot. But I take what I've learned from that disappointment and do what I need to do to make sure that I never feel that feeling again. Jason Christ and this team had one goal, qualify for the Olympics. He didn't achieve that goal. The lesson to be taken from that is not, oh, well, we lose more than we win. The lesson is that it's unacceptable. The lesson is that we need to play with the same urgency and intensity and passion that other teams play with in these tournaments. The lesson is to take that feeling And nail it to the bulletin board so that every day you're reminded of that pain and disappointment and you work harder to ensure that the next thing you nail to the bulletin board is the feeling of joy and achievement because you took that L and you flipped it into a dub. You took that disappointment and you turned it into redemption. We have to solve that if we're going to continue to take the steps forward that we need to take as a soccer country. But it's vital for U.S. soccer to recognize that when you set goals and you make them a priority and you don't achieve them, it's a setback. And you have to figure out what went wrong. The coaches, the technical directors, the staff, all the way up to Ernie Stewart, the sporting director, and Brian McBride, the general manager, so that you can flip the script next time and get back to qualifying for every single tournament you make a priority. It's an opportunity lost to grow the game, to gain new fans, and to gain more players interested in being one of those household names you see on television 365 days of the year, even when there's no Olympics. So they need to go back to the drawing board to determine what they need to do to flip this script. Because Olympic qualifying is now two years away. They have to continue to make these inroads with clubs here and abroad, sell them on their plan and how it could benefit the player and those clubs to have them as a part of the program. They have to work hard at it. If our best players in the national team program are going to be the young kids under the age of 23, then we can't use the fact they don't have to be released as an excuse. We're going to have to make the priorities, and U.S. soccer has to understand that they need to A, B, C. Always be closing. The 2024 Olympics are in Paris, and then we get the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. So we know we'll have a team in 2028 because the host nation always gets a team in every discipline that competes at the Olympics. But we need to get used to qualifying. We need to get back to winning these big games and seizing the opportunity of those big moments. They have to get a coach installed that can do that, and they need to figure out how they're going to tackle the task of qualifying for Paris 2024 right now. The offseason is here. Jason Christ said it's how you respond, but the Federation has not responded well to setbacks and failures the past few years. That cycle needs to change now, too. Or two years from now, we're going to once again be upset that our youth can't qualify for one of the biggest sporting events on Earth. And I'm going to leave it here for episode 47 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. I'm sure this discussion will continue over the coming days, so join the discussion on our site, starsandstripesfc.com. Please like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon, hopefully to discuss some better things and see ways our soccer teams are continuing to improve. But until next time, take care.